Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, June the 14th, 2023. It is currently 11.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And yes, you heard me right. It's 11.50 p.m., right? P- not a.m. I'm not misspeaking. I, I'm saying this correctly. It is 11.50 p.m. Central Time here in the studio here in Abilene, Texas. I I, I guess I could have waited, what, 10 minutes and, and I could say good morning, everyone, but good evening. And I know I'm coming to you at a very late hour. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice uh, because it's, well, it's getting, it's getting pretty late. But um, in spite of that, Here's the situation. Uh, we have been working on the book of Jeremiah for the Bible Study Exercise podcast series. We were off to such a great start. I really do. I, I Typically, I, I, I'm never happy with anything, but I thought the beginning of this study was really good. I was really happy with it. And then we've had every kind of thing that can possibly go wrong, go wrong, to just kind of mess this up disrupt it, just, just causing all kinds of issues. I'm not going to go through all the, you know, the law, this happened, then this happened. I'm not going to, you know, go through all the details, but I'm doing my best to try to get everything back on track. Now, the goal tonight, earlier this evening, is I was supposed to be at Victory Baptist Church. We were going to cover a lot there to kind of advance the study, but that got messed up. So I went live earlier because I had to kind of make a decision right on the spot. What do I do? What do I do? So I uh, borrowed a message from uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee from his program Through the Bible, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee uh, from his program Through the Bible. And they've given us permission in the past to use their content. So we used his, if if you don't remember the program Through the Bible, it was a five-year journey through the entire Bible. Now, the fact that he went through the entire Bible in five years obviously tells you it wasn't a verse-by-verse exposition, but it was a, it was kind of like a, I mean, he's covering a large portion of Scripture in a very condensed amount of time, so he couldn't cover everything. So we listened to his uh, discussion on chapter 2 of Jeremiah going into chapter three. We did, so therefore we didn't really advance it very far, right? We, we, in fact, we kind of went backwards, but I thought it was a good thing to do just because I needed, I, I wanted to make sure we did some kind of study tonight on the book of Jeremiah. I thought it was helpful to kind of go back and remind ourselves of you know, some of the things that we'd already talked about to remind ourselves of some uh, passages of scripture we'd already covered. Hopefully it was helpful. I wasn't super happy with it, but I thought, okay, I, I, I think we did. I think we did pretty good. I, I, I think it had to benefit someone, right? I mean, even people who who've been listening to every study, it had to be like they were going back listening to someone offer maybe a different perspective on verses that we had already covered. Yes, I would like to be moving forward, but it was something to do. However, I wanted to end it at about an hour long mark, which I did. 
And Dr. J. Vernon McGee at that point was just into Jeremiah chapter 3, and he was making comments on verses 1 through 5. He was making comments on Jeremiah chapter 3, 1 through 5. He had somewhat of a different perspective than me. He focused more on kind of their sexual sin than I really think, you know, in, in Jeremiah chapter 3, we'll just read it. Starting in verse 1, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's wife, another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Now, he, uh, he understands this is in reference to idolatry, but he says these places of idolatry were places of great sexual sin. So he seemed to put the emphasis a little bit more on the great sexual sin that happened in these places. In fact, he spent a lot of, he, he really emphasized verse two of Jeremiah three, where we read these words, lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been, where, okay, let me read this again. Jeremiah three, two, lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been lean with. In, in the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. And he made more, he focused more on, well, in these places, they were committing all kinds of sexual sin. I'm not denying that. I mean, we'd have to look at the history of these places and what actually occurred. For me, though, what I think the, what Jeremiah wants them to, what the God through Jeremiah wants the message to be is that Judah had become spiritual adulterers. He's referring to them as a whore, basically, but it's a, a, a spiritual whoredom. It's a spiritual idolatry. And I, I don't think we should miss that, but you can, you can consider his perspective versus my perspective. I think we, there we need to talk about spiritual adultery, exactly what it is and how guilty you are of it and how guilty I am of it. But, um, he, so he was, he was looking at that and then he just got ready to go into verse six and start, uh, the next kind of section in Jeremiah. And well, we ran out of time. So I didn't want to just leave it there. And then we go back to our normal study of the book of Jeremiah. So I wanted to go back and at least finish this so that the last message and this message will be a cohesive study of at least Jeremiah two and three from the perspective of Dr. J. Vernon McGee, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee, which will just be kind of bonus material in our study but hopefully it will be helpful because it will be, once again, you going through these sections that you're supposed to be reading. In the meantime, not well, not only as you listen to this, just I know it's, it's Wednesday. Well, it's a couple of minutes. It'll be Thursday. Please keep reading Jeremiah chapter 1 all the way to 13. Just Jeremiah 1 to 13. Just have those chapters. Just keep reading them over and over and over and over again. If you have any questions, any difficulties, any observations, please send them to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And I will do my very best to try to answer those or make those or, you know, deal with anything that you're struggling with or maybe use some of your observation and further broadcast. The goal, hopefully, is Sunday at Victory Baptist Church, if everything works correctly, 
We'll spend three hours Sunday at Victory Baptist Church just on the book of Jeremiah. That's all we're going to work on. Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. And then between now and then, we will see. I know it's going to, it's going to require a lot of work, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I know we're giving ourselves only three months to get through the entire book, or I'm only giving us three months. Uh, Obviously we could extend it, but um, I, I just think with Jeremiah, you want, we want to, this is my own personal feelings. You kind of want to limit yourself because if you don't, you're just going, I mean, you're just going to get lost in this. And, and what do I mean by that? There's just so many issues and complications and, and how is the book organized and the figurative language and the poetry and the prophecy and, and the historical narrative. There's so much going on that at any point in the book, you could just say, okay, guys, I'm leaving the path and I'm going in and you're going to turn around going, uh, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. So I'm going to try to keep us on the path. To at least, or, 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 or maybe, maybe this is a be- better illustration. I'm going to try to get, you know, send up the drone so that we can have an overview of Jeremiah and really try to understand it with at times lowering the drone down to look very specific at a certain area, then go back up, move forward and trying to know when to bring the drone down and when to take the drone back up. Obviously, right now I'm struggling because I believe the first six chapters are like absolutely essential. That's what that's what I feel. So hopefully we'll get this back in, on track and we'll 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 do good. I, I may be more bothered by the trajectory and some of the interruptions than you are. But hopefully it's not, hopefully the interruptions and some of kind of the detours have not diminished your enjoyment of the study. And hopefully it has not diminished benefit gained by you. But let's go back to Dr. J. Vernon McGee and finish it. There, there's not much left. So we will, we will just see how far he, I think he's going to try to cover all of Jeremiah 3 verses 6 to 25 and there's not a lot of time left so he's going to be skipping around but maybe it will we'll see what he focuses in on i have a feeling what he's going to focus in on but i could be wrong here we go now we come here to this second message that begins here in verse six and this by the way is a message in which god makes a charge against them of backsliding during now the reign of Josiah. And Josiah was a good king. Now, the word backsliding is mentioned seven times in this chapter. And that's more than half of the number in the entire book. And Jeremiah has more mention of backsliding than the rest of the Bible put together. He and Hosea the ones who use the term. Now, you will find here that backsliding means something a little bit different than we think that it does. Okay, now this is very important. I have, I have tried to emphasize and tried to challenge everyone to study the concept of backsliding in the book of Jeremiah. I, we did a little bit of work at it at Victory Baptist Church. We didn't really go back and finish it, but I, I was getting you started and gave you some specific things like, what does backsliding mean in the book of Jeremiah, go through every reference to the book of Jeremiah. So hopefully people have done that. I know some of you have sent me your work. 
And now he's getting ready to emphasize it. Now he says that backsliding in Jeremiah means something slightly different than the way we understand it. Oh, well, now I, he's got my attention. What do you think? What do you think he thinks? What do you think he's going to emphasize? Let's find out. Here we go. Backsliding to us actually means to slide backwards. Isn't that what backsliding is? Yes. But this is the way that it works out. And you see the vivid picture of it when God said to Israel through Hosea, he said, Ephraim is a backsliding heifer. Now, if you've never had the privilege of loading calves into a truck, in my day it was a wagon, and I remember as a boy that there lived next door to us in southern Oklahoma, a rancher. He had two sons, and they were the meanest boys, and I ran with them. I was a good boy, of course, but I ran with them, and we'd go out the ranch sometimes and help load up these heifers and little bulls, too, by the way. Now, backsliding is this. You know, you would try to get the little old fella in the wagon. You know what he would do? He'd put down his front feet, make him stiff as he could be, and he'd brace himself so you couldn't move him up. And when you tempt him to move up the ramp to get him in the wagon, when he put those legs down, he'd just start slipping backward. That's backsliding. That's what it means in the Bible. That means to refuse to go God's way. It's Now, this is interesting. He's focusing on, now, now it's interesting. I think he went to Hosea for his definition. So I, I, this is just a slight, a kind of a challenge. I'm not going to give anyone a, an assignment here, but in your study of backsliding, you could at least, you don't have to go look anything else up, but in your study of backsliding and the book of Jeremiah, did you come to the same conclusion that backsliding is not so much going sliding backwards? It's your refusal to go God's way. See, we look at it as sliding backwards, right? Hey, here I am spiritually, and oh no, look, I'm falling back spiritually. He's saying it's more you're putting your feet down and like, that's it. You're not going to budge me. I am not going your way. I refuse to get in that wagon. I refuse to get in that trailer. I refuse to go uh, into that, you know, gated area. I refuse to go. Do you see backsliding more as a refusal to go God's way, or do you see it more as sliding backwards from God's way? What what do do you think the emphasis was? I mean, I'm almost asking this. See, that's why so much of this study, I prefer to be in front of people because right now it'd be interesting to get how many people in a congregation would be like, no, I I see it his way. I see it, Dr. According to Dr. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, I I, I agree with him. It's a refusal to go God's way. And then someone else would be like, no, I don't, I see it more sliding backwards. You just, because of apathy or complacency or because of distraction or because you're putting your focus on other things and you're just sliding backwards. Now, is it one or the other, or is it a combination of both? I would, I would love to get your thoughts on this, how you understand backsliding, because it's a major theme in the book. It's a major theme in the book. So you cannot, I mean, we need to figure out exactly what backsliding is. Is it just a refusal to go God's way? 
Or is it sliding backwards because of other things causing you to slide backwards? Or is it a combination of refusing to go God's way? Therefore, you slide backwards. But I think sometimes we think backsliding is not just a refusal to go God's way. It's more just a carelessness, uh, apathy, complacency, distraction. And we don't even realize that we're kind of just sliding further and further and further back from God because we're not even paying attention to our spiritual health and our spiritual well-being. So I would love to know. Let's see what else he has to say. Refuse to listen to him. And when we do the thing that little animal did, that little heifer did, putting down our front feet, and I tell you, making them stiff, and as a result, instead of going up, they go backwards. And when you and I refuse to do what God wants us to do, and we rebel against him, that's backsliding, because what happens you'll start moving backwards every time. You get farther and farther away from God. Now, notice what he says here to them. So he's kind of adding, he's not really saying one versus the other. He kind of said it's different, but he still goes with the concept of sliding backwards. So he's just adding kind of a new element to it. It's a refusal to move God's way. Therefore, you slide backwards. I sometimes see it more that you can slide backwards, not so much of just like, I'm refusing to go God's way. It's just because you're becoming careless, distracted, apathetic, slothful in your own Christian life. Does Do you think that works as well? We'll, we'll see where else he's going to go with this. Verse 6, The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She's gone up upon every high mountain, under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. God says to this nation, take a lesson from Israel. Now, Israel's gone into captivity. But notice what they did. They did exactly what you did. And Ephraim was a backsliding heifer. I tried to get them to return to me, and they would not return to me. And as a result, they're in captivity. Let that be a lesson to you. Now, God said back here in verse 1, you remember, God says, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Now, God says, though you played the harlot, you belong to me and you played the harlot, yet God says, if you come back to me, I'll receive you. And that's the reason that any prodigal son or any prodigal daughter or any prodigal family or any prodigal church or any prodigal nation can always come back to God. He won't punish them if you come back. In fact, he'll receive you. The prodigal son, he didn't get any kicks when he got home. He got those in the far country. He got kisses. And he nearly starved to death in the far country, but they made a banquet for him, the father did when he came home. Now, he says here, that should be a lesson to you. They went into idolatry. I sent them into captivity. Verse 7, And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. God says, I gave her an opportunity to turn to me. I would have taken her back, but she wouldn't come. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now, the sin of Judas compounded. And I actually think their captivity was much worse than the ten northern tribes. And the reason, I think, is quite self-evident. 
the ten northern tribes went into Assyrian captivity. But I want to tell you, Judah had them as an example and didn't listen at all. The tragedy today in this country, we have a Bible. And I get a little weary of hearing people, I don't know what they're trying to prove. They get up and say, we live in a land where you have an open Bible and you can read the Bible. Well, thank God for that, but who's reading it? How many are reading it? What difference does it make if you have a freedom if you're not? Judah did not turn to God. They had an example. You and I have the Word of God today, and I believe God will judge this country worse than he'll judge Russia. Now, listen to him. Verse 9, "...it came to pass, though the lightness of her whoredom, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks." There you go. There's the proof. They, she committed adultery with stones and with stocks. It was it was idolatry. This is the this is spiritual idol or spiritual adultery by committing idolatry. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. When God's people fall into idolatry, we are committing spiritual adultery. It's the adultery that no one ever really gets in trouble for or anyone ever condemns or we say much about. But we're all adulterers spiritually time and time again. that is, made idols of these. Verse 10, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. Now this revival under this man that is King Josiah was a revival, no question about it. Many people turned to God, but it was so popular that it actually was not anything but a surface return. It was a surface return to God by and large as far as the nation is concerned. Now, I believe today that there is a renewed interest in the Word of God, and I think more people are getting saved now. I know at any time during my ministry, but let's be very careful. It's not revival. It's quite surface today. And don't be deceived by the big crowds in places and by the number that are supposed to accepted Christ. You just divide that by two and then subtract that from what you have left, and you probably get the number that really are genuinely converted. We're seeing a great surface movement as well as a genuine movement today. Now will you notice verse 11, "...and the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah." In other words, God makes it clear. He says, the sin of Judah's worse than that of Israel. Up north, they didn't have the opportunity. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the Word of God. And I tell you, our judgment has to be greater. Verse 12, "...go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I'll not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I'm merciful, saith the Lord." and I'll not keep anger forever. God says, I'll bring you back into the land if you turn to me. How gracious God is. How wonderful he is. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. And today, the big problem is just simply this, is a lack of confession of sin. 
And a lot of this movement today is, oh, I read a book recently and disturbed me. The man uses the first-person pronoun more than anybody I've ever heard. <laughs> and the Lord gets no glory in that. What God's done for him made him a millionaire, and he's been successful and all that. I don't find where he was ever saved from sin. Confess your iniquity. My friend, today you say you're a Christian. What do you mean by that? Oh, I've trusted Christ. Trusted him for what? I trusted him as my Savior. He's done so much for me. Fine, I'm glad to hear that. But did he save you from sin? Remember, he died on the cross to save you from sin, not to give you a new personality or make you a millionaire. He died to save you from sin. He was delivered for our offenses. And we were very offensive to God, by the way. Are you saved, friend? That's important today. Oh, this man Jeremiah, he gets down under my skin. He worries me. Now, will you notice, verse 14, "...turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I'll bring you to Zion." Oh, how gracious God was. Verse 15, "...and I'll give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding." And friends, if you have a Bible-teaching pastor you ought to run over right now and put your arm around him and you ought to protect him because they're valuable today. They're few and far between. Verse 16, "...it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord. They shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more." And you'll find all the way through Jeremiah these rays of light. Have you ever been out on a cloudy day and then all of a sudden in a rainstorm the sun breaks through and you see a rainbow? Well, all through the prophecies of Jeremiah, he brings these to our attention. And this is one of them. At that time, now that reaches on into the millennium, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. All right, now here's where we could get into. See, this is where you can. And at some point in Jeremiah, we will have to address these issues. But over and over, this is just a basic principle when studying any of the either minor prophets or major prophets, any prophetic books in the in the Old Testament or in the Bible. Whenever the prophecy is given, you first and foremost, we have to figure out, was this prophecy fulfilled in the uh, in history? Now, when I say was the prophecy fulfilled in history, so let's make sure we understand this. When the prophecy is given, it's future for the original recipients. But for us, what we do is go, wait a minute, has this prophecy been fulfilled? So the first thing we look at, has the prophecy been fulfilled in history? For us looking back, for them it was future, but now for us to interpret the Bible, we're like, has the prophecy been fulfilled? Then we can go back, look at the text, look at history and go, nope, it was never fulfilled. If it was never fulfilled, then you've got two options. One, you say it was never fulfilled literally, and so therefore you look for a 
spiritual fulfillment. It, it wasn't a literal fulfillment. It was a spiritual fulfillment. Or you have to look for a future literal fulfillment. So the first thing you do is you look back and go, has this been fulfilled in history? If you cannot find any fulfillment, like you're like, there's just, I don't know where this has been fulfilled. And obviously you're looking for a literal one. Then you have to either say, okay, it was fulfilled at some point spiritually, or it will be fulfilled spiritually, or you have to look for a future literal fulfillment. All right. And that's very important. And I have no problem doing everything in our power to go. I think it was, I think it was fulfilled in, you know, 300 BC or, or 10 AD or 70 AD or, or whenever. But if you can't, you're like, I, I look, there's no, there's no way this was fulfilled. There's just no way. So then you have to say, okay, it was fulfilled spiritually. Well, how do you make this work hermeneutically? How do you make it work logically? How do you make, or you say, it's got to be fulfilled in the future. And he just obviously went with a very future, uh, a, a very future fulfillment here. Um, and he said, I think it was verse, uh, what verse was that, that he was looking at? I don't remember exactly which verse he was looking at, but he definitely starts looking at some of this section. And in this section, he starts seeing a fulfillment that he immediately put in the millennial kingdom. He immediately put some of this in the millennial kingdom. That is something you're definitely, we're definitely going to have to consider, or you're going to have to consider Like, wait a minute, when, when was this fulfilled? When was this fulfilled? And you're going to have to, to think this uh, through. In fact, we can just start, look, we just start at verse 16 and it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, they shall no more. Uh, uh, let me read this again. Verse 16, uh, Jeremiah 3, 16. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. So whatever future time he's referring to, they're not going to worry about the ark of the covenant anymore. Verse 17, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk anymore after the imagination of their evil heart. This seeming to say all the nations are, okay, when is this going to occur? Well, if you read it, depending on one's eschatology, some will say, well, that never actually occurred. So it was fulfilled. It's being fulfilled spiritually in the church. Some will then immediately say that's the church. Others will be like, well, wait a minute. When did it become spiritual? Because in all of their idolatry and all the sins and all the things he's saying literal, why do all of a sudden here we're like, oh, wait, 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 guys, wait, guys, wait, guys. Is the Ark of the Covenant literal in 16? And then all of a sudden 17. And they shall, and at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. Okay, that's not actually Jerusalem. That's the church. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it. This is the nations coming to the church. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So... Whenever you see these kinds of prophecies, remember, here is the rule. Whenever you see these kinds of prophecies, you stop yourself and go, has that ever been fulfilled literally? 
You then could ask, has it ever been fulfilled spiritually? And if you say it's, it has been fulfilled spiritually, you got to somehow make it work and explain it and be consistent in your hermeneutic. Or you're like, it, it's got to be fulfilled in the future. And if you're going to say it's going to be fulfilled spiritually in the future, once again, you have to be able to uh, make that make sense hermeneutically. I mean, it's got to, you can't just have like, well, these 10 verses were literal. And then all of a sudden, no, 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 it's not a literal fulfillment. Or, you say it's a future fulfillment and it's going to be literal. Now, the problem is, as soon as you say that, then you're going to be, you know, people are going to place you or label you something. They're going, you're a dispensationalist. Don't worry about the labels. It's not about the labels. It's about you trying to be fair to the text. When it says at that time, what time is it referring to? Because whatever time it is, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations will be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. This is the regathering of both. That has clearly never happened unless once again, you're going to turn this into the church and they shall come together out of the land well, they're coming together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. This is a promise for land. I mean, come on, you can't, you can't just ignore these promises and I, and the spiritualization of them and like, okay, that's not really Israel. That's not really Judah. This is just, now this is just God's people. I guess coming to the church, I don't, I don't know exactly how you, you make, I, I could go back and try to figure out how all your work, but typically when there's times and times, time and time again, many who hold to a certain system of eschatology, when they see Israel or Judah, they'll be like, that's spiritual Israel. That's the church. So the church is going to come out of the land and, and they're going to get land. We'll say, well, it's not actual. So it's not actual Israel, actual Judas, the church. It's not actual land. They're just going to get power and be gathered together as one. Like they, you just have to just not even attempt to be very literal with the text. And once you stop being literal with the text, where does, once you stop being literal, then where does it stop? Because you'll start turning everything is not literal. But I want you to really think of those verses. Um, I want you to think of verse, let's see, go to, uh, I want you to really consider verse, let's see, verse 16, 17, 18, 16, 17, 18. And I want you to just think, was that ever fulfilled in history, literally or spiritually? And if you say no, um, if, it, if it's never been fulfilled, literally or spiritually, then where? how would this be fulfilled in the future, literally or spiritually? And if you say spiritual, then that means you're offering a spiritual interpretation. Then when, what in chapters 1, 2, and 3 do, do we then note, don't say is literal? Well, they didn't literally commit spiritual adultery. They didn't literally build idols. I mean, it's all figurative, right? Now, it's using figurative language to describe what they literally did. So again, you got to you got to think how this works. But I really want you to focus on those verses. Let me read them to you again, right? These are very important verses. All right. And it shall come to pass. So, there, so at the time Jeremiah delivers this message, he's telling them there's coming a time, all right, when you will be multiplied and increased 
in the land. In those days, shall the, uh, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. So somehow they're just, they're going to be done with the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to be done with that. In fact, in a roundabout way, you could almost say they're going to be done with the temple. They're going to be done with that, right? Well, it's to some level, all right? Now that that could raise that could raise some other questions, but okay, all right. They're, they're at least going to be done with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. And those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. They shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Meaning, it seems a restoration of Israel back in the land never happened. The north and south never came back together and got the land never happened. So either you have to say it spiritually has happened or is happening or will happen or will happen. And then you've just got to offer some, you just make up all the details or it's got to be literal. Verse 18, in those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I've given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Glorious prophecy of the future that he just puts in you. It's like a little gem. Then he says at that day, thou shalt call me my father. Now, no individual Israelite ever called God father. He was a father to the nation. And he called Israel my son. But he never called David his son. He says, David, my servant. He never called Moses his son. He called him Moses, my servant. It's only in this day of grace. How wonderful it is. How privileged we are today. To as many as received him, that is the Lord Jesus, to them, those that receive Christ, the right, the exousion power to become the sons of God to those that don't do any more nor less than just simply trust in his name. Oh, is he your Savior today from sin? If he is, you're not only a saved sinner, you're a son of God. Oh, how wonderful it is to be that. Now, again, he says, verse 22, Return, ye backsliding children. I'll heal your backsliding. I'll heal you. You get a little sore and a very prominent place if you do a lot of backsliding, friend. God says, I'll heal you if you'll come to me. Now, in verse 23, and this is the same you find in Psalm 121.1, Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Psalm 121.1 says, Shall I lift up mine eyes to the hills? That's where those high places were. David says, oh, no, never there. I lift up mine eyes unto the Lord. Salvation comes for him. And that is the thing that he's saying here. Now, he says, verse 25, We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us, for we've sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. They didn't confess their sin, but Jeremiah confessed it for them, 
and for himself also. You know, that wouldn't hurt to have a little confessing of sin going on today instead of all of this gibbering about, oh, I've got a special gift, or I'm a super-duper saint, or God has blessed me in a wonderful way. Well, thank God if he's blessed you in a wonderful way. But don't you feel like that you're coming short of the glory of God? Have you been to him and told him how far you fall short? My friend, we need a little humbling today, and I'm not sure about what God's getting ready to let us have it. And there we go. That concludes Jeremiah chapter 3, as taught by Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Um, he brought up some interesting things. We, uh, I really want you to take away from this. Uh, and I don't think anyone emailed me about these verses. I don't think. If you did, and I am, am forgetting at, you know, 1231 a.m., please forgive me, okay? So don't get mad. Just send me another email. Go, no, 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 no. I did. I did mention these verses. Someone may have, because I've, I've had lots of emails where people are offering all of their observations through each chapter. So if I have forgotten yours, please, please don't be offended. Just remind me. I want to go back and look at what you said. But if you, if, if you did not, I really want you to take the time, once again, to focus on Jeremiah chapter 3. Now, the backsliding, I've already told you to focus on that. So, But now I want you to really focus on Jeremiah 3, 16 through 18. Let me read it one more time, all right? Jeremiah 3, verse 16. It shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more. The ark of the covenant of the Lord Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. Verse 17. At that time, they shall call, call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. You see, it's almost like there's, they're, they're going to almost be purified in some ways from sin in some way, I guess. Like, I, like there's a lot here to talk about. Like if you say that's the church, clearly that's, we, we still walk after the imagination of our own heart all the time. But okay, that's, all right, verse 18. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. They shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Verse 19, but I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the host of nations? And I said, thou shalt call me my father and shall not turn away from me. This is a, a restored, a regathering of Israel and a restored Israel and a revived Israel. I want you to really think about those pro prophecies. And again, were they fulfilled in the past, literally or figuratively, or spiritually, I should say? And if you say no, well, then were they, is it, has it happened now in the present or in the future spiritually? Has, has it happened in, in the present spiritually or will it happen in the future spiritually? Or has it, is it happening now 
literally or will it happen literally in the future, if I stated that correctly? I really want you to spend some time with that. All right. Thank you for listening to this very special late night, early morning episode of the Theology Central Podcast for our Bible study exercise series, where we are spending the summer in the book of Jeremiah. Hopefully, this was helpful and beneficial. Email me your thoughts about anything to newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And if you're listening to me live, what in the world are you doing awake at 1234 a.m. Central Time? What are you doing? Why are you awake? Shouldn't you be at No, you, you probably should be awake studying the book of Jeremiah, right? Okay, everyone have a great morning. I was going to say a good night. Everyone have a great morning. And we'll be live broadcasting, I don't know, probably within, I don't know, 12 hours, probably within 12 hours. We'll see. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great morning and a great day. God bless.